welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Hebrews 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest God would not have spoken of another day later on so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do need you as we sang earlier. We need you now. And Lord, we need you to uh, soften hard hearts, to warm cold hearts, to, to give life to dead hearts. Lord, we come here in desperate need of you, whether we know it or not. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak your very grace into us, that you give us your very life. You give us the life of Christ in us by the Spirit. We pray, Lord, as we dig into your word, as we look into you, it not only be clear, and it would, we would not only believe it, but our very hearts would receive it as the good news that it is. And then we'd leave having received the good news and being changed by it. But this is something only you can do. We're very well aware of that. These people don't need to hear the, the thoughts of, the, of a man or the ideas of man. We need to hear from you, your word by your spirit. And so we pray, Lord, come. Your children are ready to hear from you. We're eager to hear from you. We thank you in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. Anybody here tired? Can we get all the tired people? Tired people? You clap for tired? That's interesting. You guys are tired? How many are you tired? How many of you are like, too tired to raise your hand? You can't raise your hand. I'm so exhausted. I'm, uh, I'm very tired. I've been tired for a while. <laughs> We're going on vacation this week, so that'll be great. But this passage here speaks of a rest that we need more than we need a vacation, more than we need to sleep in. You know, a lot of times when we think about coming to church, you might think, oh, I'm just too tired, you know? I'm just too, too worn out to come. Maybe I should just sleep in. Maybe I'll just be better off. And uh, one thing you guys need to really 
think about in those times when you have that question, maybe I'll just stay home, maybe I'll just sleep, maybe I'll just rest, is are you tired or are you weary? Because tired is something you are physically. And, uh, and most of us don't really have a good reason to be tired physically, right? But weary is something you're tired in the soul. There's a need for rest. And this passage talks about the rest we desperately need. And you can see the desperation in the two verses that are bookend this passage. So verse 1 and verse 11 both show us that there's a rest that we desperately need from God. Take a look at verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to fail to reach it. There's a rest that we need so badly we should fear missing it. And remember the context here. The Israelites, they had left Egypt. They were, uh, Moses came, he brought the ten plagues. The, there was the, the Passover lamb. They went out, they parted through the Red Sea. And then God brings them right up to the promised land. But they refused to go in. They refused to go in because they were afraid. They were afraid of the giants of the land, these great big warriors that were there. And, and God in that moment closed the door to that older generation. The generation that were all adults when they came to the promised land and refused to go in were then barred from going in. And that led to 40 years of them wandering until that older generation would die off. The younger generation would go in. So the door of rest was closed to them. But verse 1 says that it's still open to us. And the only thing we should fear in this life is that we'd fail somehow to enter that rest. So that's, that's the desperation for the rest. And then look at verse 11. It says, Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. There's a, there's a rest that our soul desperately needs, something that we should fear losing and something that we should fear not, not gaining and that we should strive to have. And so this morning we're going to talk about what is that rest? What is the rest we desperately need? And then how do we get it? So what is the rest we desperately need? Look at verse 4. It's a rest found in God. It says in verse 4, For he has said somewhere of the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. It's a rest that God himself has been enjoying ever since he created the world. You guys realize that God created, it was six days of creation. On the seventh day he rested, and he continues to rest. Why did God rest? Was he tired? No, he was done. He was done with his work, and he sat back, and he just enjoyed his work. And he's not inactive now. He's reigning over his creation. Guys, our God is a God of rest. I think that's really important for you to realize starting off, is to realize God's a God of rest. God is not hurried. He's not fretful. He's not frazzled. He's not too busy. He's not running around frantically pulling levers. Our God is a God of rest. In his very being, he's resting. But he's not inactive. He's restfully reigning over all of his creation, bringing it effortlessly to exactly the place he wants it to end, to its perfect end. And, and this rest that God has is a rest that we desperately need. And what this passage is saying is that the rest we need is to join God in his rest, to rest in fellowship with him. It's a restful fellowship in Him, and we were created for that. You guys realize every one of you was created by God to rest in God, to rest in fellowship with God. And that's what human beings had in the beginning, right? You think about Adam and Eve, and they had that kind of rest. But what happened? They lost it, right? They lost it in the fall. They turned from God. They got banished out of Eden, out of the land of rest, away from the presence of God, and they became restless. In us, all who have been descended from them are restless, are we restless? You feel restless? You could call it anxiety. You could call it discontentment. You could call it unease. 
You could call it agitation. You could call it existential angst, if you want to be fancy. But we have a lack of rest. There's something in us that can't rest, right? We're restless, aren't we? And you got to ask yourself, when you feel that restlessness, that discontentment, that there's never anything that's enough, and, and something's just not right, that, that unease, you got to ask yourself, what's under that? Because that's like a check engine light, guys. It's saying there's something wrong, right? We're restless because we want to be seen as righteous. That's one way many of us are restless. We're insecure about our own goodness. That's what makes us so judgmental, by the way. You wonder, like, why is it so enjoyable to judge others? You know, why is that such an enjoyable thing? It's because we want to be righteous. And if there's enough people underneath us that are lower than us morally, it props us up. It makes us feel like, but we're different. We're good, right? And guys, it's not just religious people that can be Pharisees, is it? Like we can see that in our culture right now. Non-religious people can be very judgmental. It's a restlessness we had for righteousness. We're restless for success. You know, have you ever thought to yourself, have I made enough of myself? Have I made enough of my life? Have I lived up to my fullest potential? Right? Have I missed some great opportunity in the past that, that would have spared me from mediocrity, but I blew it? Right? We're restless for success. We're restless for worth. Am I worthy? Is my life worth living? Have I justified my existence? Isn't that a crazy thing to think about? But human beings severed from God, we feel like we have to justify our own existence right? We're, we're restless for worth. We're restless for security. Have I protected myself enough from the future? H have I done everything to keep myself from a coming disaster? Have I thought through all the contingencies? You know, we're restless for security. You guys realize we were designed to find all those things in God. We were to find all that rest in God, to find our righteousness in Him, our security in Him, our worth in Him, our righteousness in him. And you can see that Adam and Eve would not have had this restlessness. They would have been perfectly at rest in God. But sin has severed us from that. And that's the, what the restlessness is about. And you can take that restlessness and you can feel it. And you can try to, you know, quiet it with all kinds of things. You could try to quiet with purchases. You know, a little something come from Amazon each day. Maybe that'll quiet it down. Maybe you need a bigger purchase, Right? You can try and quiet it with education. You know, maybe if I kind of got more education, I'd feel better about myself, I'd be rested. You could try it with sexual sin. You could try it with food. You could try to quiet that restlessness with better looks or with drugs or with going to the gym or with alcohol or with getting more attention from people or a promotion at work or a raise or having above average children, Right? And then finally, I'm going to be at rest. And yet we're not, guys. But that restlessness, guys, it's like an infinite hole that you're throwing things into to try to get quiet and try to get peace. It's like a black hole. It will swallow up all the things I just listed and want more. It's an infinite hole that can only be filled with an infinite God. And so you can keep throwing things in that hole, but it'll never be enough. You need God. The great 4th century African bishop, Augustine, said this. He prayed this. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Isn't that one of the truest things ever written outside the Bible? <laughs> he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Do you guys believe that? How I many of you guys believe that as an accurate diagnosis of your restlessness? Okay, you know exactly where to go now. Isn't that amazing? 
that you would know how to fill that. Okay, ever since the fall, guys, God has promised to give his people the rest back. And as Josh was talking about, God gave his people the Sabbath day as a little appetizer of what that rest would be like. A time to rest from their labors, a time to enjoy God. It's just a, a, a little like appetizer, you know, where you could just enjoy rest. That's what the Sabbath was designed for. You know, it was to point forward to someday every day will be Saturday. Every day will be weekend. And it will be spent with the Lord. It will be spent in a time of rest. And so he gives them the Sabbath rest, you know, something for them to, as an appetizer of the rest to come. And then he promises Abraham he's going to give them a land of rest, a place where they could enter in, a whole land that they could live in with God and find rest. And that Exodus generation, as I told you earlier, did not enter that rest because of unbelief. Look at verse 2. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. What happened is they came to the land, they didn't believe, and then they were not allowed to enter the land. And then the younger generation got to enter the land 40 years later. But even that generation didn't get the full rest. They didn't get the rest they wanted. Look at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Canaan, that land of Israel, was not the ultimate rest. It looked like it was. Things looked good, you know? That second generation was able to enter the land. God gave them every square inch he promised, right? And it says in Joshua 21, 44, And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. And so they've got rest, they've got the land, it's beautiful, it's enjoyable, it's flowing with milk and honey, the whole deal, right? And they even have a measure of peace for a while. But, but something went wrong. Do you know what it was? What went wrong? Sin. Sin went wrong. They sinned against the Lord, and they lost the land, and they lost that rest. Joshua had warned him about this. In Joshua 23, he says, he's brought him into the land, and he says this to him. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve and bow down to other gods, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. And that's exactly what happened. They sinned against this good God. They were exiled, and they lost the land. It's Eden all over again, right? A perfect land, rest with God, sin, lose the land, exiled, lose the rest. And the writer of Hebrews says, he's been quoting Psalm 95 here in this section, and he says, he makes this point, if, if Joshua had given the people rest, then why hundreds of years later is David still talking about it? Why is hundreds of years later David's like, hey, make sure you enter the rest. David lives in that actual land. It's clear that that land wasn't rest. It's clear that Joshua was not able to give them rest. The land Joshua gave them was actually a foretaste, an appetizer of the true promised land to come. And we know this is the new earth, that he is going to one day, Jesus is going to return, make the whole world new, renew the place, take away all sin and suffering and death, and that there will be that physical land in the future where we're going to enjoy God forever. In Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And if you look in your Bible and you look at the very last two chapters of the Bible, it's a description of what the true promised land to come is like. It's a new earth. It's a, wor a world made new where we'll dwell there with God and enjoy him forever. And that's what you can see in the last two chapters. It's called the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And so what it turns out is, and it's quite to our surprise, is that the promised land turns out to be way bigger than we thought. 
So we thought that the promised land was this small patch of land in the Middle East. This is the place. This is the promised land. But it turns out that, the, that God's promise is way, way, way bigger. It says in Romans 4 that the promise to Abraham and to his offspring, which is us, is that he would be the heir of the world. Not just the heir of the land, but an heir of the world. And so what's coming is that we will receive all the promises to Abraham with his Old Testament people and his New Testament people. We're going to receive those promises in a world to come and enjoy him forever. Guys, that's the rest we desperately need, right? We don't just need a couple days to sleep in, although that might be good for you. We don't just need a vacation, although that's great, and I'm looking forward to it. We need something more. We need rest in God, in his land to come. And it's a rest from our works. This is really cool. Look at verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He's talking about a future Sabbath rest in that land with God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did. It's it's a rest that we're going to receive when we're with the Lord. It's a rest from all the works that God had for you to do here. You guys realize, as as a child of God... Each one of you has some work to do here. You're here for a purpose. He has very specific things for you, very specific works for you to do. Ephesians uh, 2.10 says that God has created us for good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Isn't that crazy? You think about like he has a bunch of good works for you to do in this life that he prepared beforehand, before he made the world, for you to walk in. Isn't that amazing? And what this passage is saying is that once you have done those works, then he's going to give you rest in the world to come. And it's going to be a rest, guys. It's going to be hugely needed. It's going to be a rest from the temptation you've dealt with here, the trials you've dealt with here, the tribulations you've dealt with here, all the difficulty of following Jesus. He's going to give you rest. You know, like God rested from his labors on the seventh day, it says. You know, when he sat back and he just enjoyed what he had created, and he looked at it, and he had deep satisfaction in it, and he just began to reign over it. We're going to look back at all that God has done in and through us, through this life, and we're going to look back on it with the same kind of satisfaction. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't that be good? I mean, even the worst trials you've been through here, the worst seasons you've been through, the worst pains you've been through, the worst suffering you've been through, you're going to look back then on on what God had walked you through, and you're going to have a deep sense of satisfaction. You're going to see like, you know what? God was wise. I questioned his wisdom all the way through. He was wise. God was good. God did a work here that I can just enjoy looking at. God is so good. He's been so good to me. It's going to be perfect rest, guys. It's going to be resurrection rest, you know? It's going to be in a resurrected world, you know? All the problems we have here in this world that we can't solve, I'll list some of them because you're like, no, we can solve them. Sin, Death, evil, we can't solve these, right? We can do some things to try and mitigate them maybe, but we can't solve them. God's going to solve them when Christ returns. He's going to solve them instantly, make the whole world new. How would you like to live in this world, made new, with Jesus as king over it? Sound solid? Anybody looking for anything else? Anything else on your wish list? No. It's going to be a resurrected world. It's going to be resurrected relationships. This one probably means a lot to a lot of you. There's some people, even believers, that you had a very difficult time reconciling with. At a very difficult time, like setting things right. And what's going to happen in the world to come is those relationships can be instantly reconciled. Some of you can probably think of Christians like you just have not been able to get there with them. And you want to make peace, but you haven't made peace. You're trying to make peace. He's going to make peace. 
It's going to be resurrected bodies. This one's going to be more to you as you get older. <laughs> you know, lack of physical pain. Lack of emotional weakness. You think of all, like, all the mental health struggles you may d- wrestle with. You imagine having perfect brain chemistry? I'm looking forward to that. I'd like my brain chemistry fixed, right? All our emotional weaknesses, all of our temptations, all our proclivities to sin, all of our failings, all, all these things that we kind of limp along in this life, right? Suddenly healed. It's amazing. I assure you guys, the longer you live and the more you suffer, the more you're going to value this promise. It's going to be a resurrected world, resurrected relationships, resurrected body, all made new. And it's a rest we can never lose, which is great because Jesus solved the problem Joshua couldn't solve, right? So Joshua brings them into the land, but the problem he couldn't solve was their sin. And he's nervous about it. <laughs> At the end of Joshua, he's like, they're all like, yay, the land, this is great. And he's like, oh, this is not going to last long. You could tell from his warning, you know? He's like, this is good, but man, I give them five minutes from what I've dealt with the last 40 years with these people. Adam and Eve lost the land because of sin. They lost Eden. Israel ends up losing it because of their sin. How can we be sure we won't lose the the promised land to come, right? And it's because Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has defeated your sin. If you're trusting in Jesus, he has dealt with your sin in three ways. He's taken away the penalty of your sin already, if you trust in him. He's taken away the penalty of your sin. He's actively right now breaking the power of sin in your life. It's a process. It's a long, painful, and embarrassing process. Is it embarrassing? Sanctification? It's embarrassing, right? It's a long process. But he's, he's taken away the penalty of your sin. He's actively taking away the power of your sin. What's cool in the world to come is he's going to remove the presence of your sin. How cool is that going to be? You're actually going to be sin-proof. Would you guys like to be sin-proof? Anybody want to sign up for sin-proofing? Yes, that's what's going to happen. And that's why we won't lose the land. It's because he's going to take care of the problem Joshua couldn't. Joshua couldn't give them real rest. But the greater Joshua will. One of the things in this text that, that we can't see in English is that the word Joshua in here is spelled exactly the same way as Jesus. Okay, Because Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua. And so the only way you know that he's talking about Joshua in verse 8 is because of the context. It's the exact same word. And so what we have here, guys, is we have two Joshuas, right? We have two Joshuas. The original Jewish readers, the ones who had come to Christ, but they were, they were tempted to return to Judaism because of the persecution, they would be confronted at this very moment with, which Joshua will you follow? Which Joshua will you trust in? You know, will you trust in the Joshua that gave you a land that was just a, a foretaste and just a picture of the land to come? Or will you take the Joshua, the true and greater Joshua is going to give you the true land? Will you take the first Joshua who, you know, will give you a land that you can lose? Or will you trust in Jesus, the greater Joshua, who gives you a land you can't lose? Guys, if they returned to Judaism at this point, they'd be making the same mistake as the Exodus generation. They'd be rejecting the good news from Joshua, except this Joshua is the ultimate one, the one they've been waiting for all their, all their history. Is the hope their people had always been waiting for. And so the good news for us this morning is that Jesus has indeed spied out the promised land, right? He says, go and prepare a place for you. He spied out the land, and it's perfect. The place he's going to bring us is perfect. We believe him about his report. And even more, though, he has defeated the giants that would keep us out. The giants that would keep us out of that great land to come is our own sin, and Jesus on the cross has removed that sin. He did this great work on the cross to defeat our sin on the sixth day, right? 
Then on the seventh day, he rested, right? Where did he rest? In the grave. And then on the first day of the week, he rose again. He rose again victorious. And now he is enjoying his Sabbath rest, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, feet up in everything, and he's inviting us to enjoy the fruits of his labor. That's what the gospel is about. The gospel is about trusting in him and enjoying the fruits of his labor, not ours. His righteousness, not ours. His victory, not ours. So how do we enter? We actually enter the same way Caleb did. You say, Caleb who? He's not in the text. Well, Moses sent 12 spies in, right? And two of them gave a good report. And the other 10 said, there's giants in the land, let's not go in. They were unbelieving. Those are the ones that were barred from entering. The other two, Joshua and Caleb, said, hey, it's true. There's giants here. It's fine. God's promised the land. Let's take it. Isn't that great? How did Caleb enter that rest? He's heard the good news, and he believed God's promise. Verse 2 says that good news came to us just as it came to them. Did you guys know that there's good news in the Old Testament? Caleb heard good news, too. A lot of people say, okay, well, the Old Testament, that's all law, that's all bad news, but the New Testament, that's all good news. That's not what this text says. Verse 2 says they had good news. What was the good news? The good news to Caleb was just like the good news to us. It was to trust in a Savior to come. Alec Moltier, who's an Old Testament scholar, he once talked about what would a testimony of an Old Testament believer sound like? Like, if you were to ask somebody like Caleb, hey, tell me your testimony. What are you trusting in? What's the gospel? And he said it'd be something like this. If you ask Caleb, you know, he's in the wilderness, and you go like, hey, I'm from the future. Don't worry about that. I just want to ask you, what are you trusting in? What's your hope? What's the good news? What's your testimony? He said they'd say something like this. Well, we were in slavery to an evil ruler when God sent a mediator who promised deliverance. We trusted in the promise and took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. And we escaped the death our sins deserved. The Lord is now leading us to freedom. He's teaching us his ways by the law. He goes with us through the wilderness. He leads us. He cares for us. By grace, we know that he'll bring us to the promised land where we'll enjoy him as our everlasting possession. Sound familiar? Good news came to us just as it came to them. Caleb believed that news. And that's why when he came to the land, he saw powerful enemies. He said this, we should go up and take possession of the land. For he will certainly do it for us. Isn't that great? He believed the promise. He believed the good news. And I want you to think just for a moment here, because Caleb, you know, from there, he doesn't get to enter the land right away. There's 40 years of wandering that's going to go on next. I want you to think about how different his experience of the wilderness is to the others in his generation. It's a different experience, isn't it? Right? Because he knows he's actually going to enter the promised land. They know they're not. Think of how that changed his wilderness experience. I mean, Caleb has a lot of striving to still go. He's got 40 years, and it's going to be rough. You guys been camping? This is camping for 40 years. Except you're camping for 40 years while other nations are attacking you. One time there were a bunch of snakes that just came out of nowhere and bit them all. Okay, maybe your camping trips are like this. I don't know. We stay in hotels. There was infighting. One time there was the land opened up and swallowed a whole bunch of them. I mean, this is a rough time. 40 years of this, right? 40 years of these people. Caleb still had a lot of striving to enter the land, but he had a kind of rest that the others didn't have. Amen? Because Caleb knew in a few decades he'd be entering the land. All of his temptations and trials and tribulations had a destination. Do your temptations and trials 
And sufferings have a destination. His had a destination, right? Underneath all of Caleb's striving, he had rest, right? He was already enjoying the rest of the land. If you're in Christ, you do too. Your wilderness experience is like Caleb's. The others were striving and restless for nothing. The others were, you know, just waiting to drop in the wilderness. There was all toil and no hope for them. It was just restlessness all the way down. But Caleb knew he was headed to the promised land. And Caleb suffered with hope. He suffered with rest. And so can you. Because you've likely got a long road ahead of you. Some of you guys are real old and don't. But a lot of you probably have a long road ahead of you. Maybe as long as, uh, long as Caleb in the wilderness, right? You're going to go through a lot of difficult things. This isn't the kind of church we say, hey, we know how to have the best life now. And if you really trust God, like everything's going to be awesome for you. You can hear that places. That's not biblical. It's a wilderness, right? There's snakes. There's land-eating people. There's wars. <laughs> there's spiritual warfare. There's conflict. It's going to be brutal. Jesus was really clear on this, right? So follow me. Pick up your cross, which is an item of crucifixion. Like he wasn't saying, hey, you know what? If you really trust God, everything will go great for you. You know what's so evil about that, by the way? Besides it's not true? Is when you suffer, then what? You were told if you're really faithful to God, you never suffer, right? And then you suffer, and then what? It's either God's fault or your fault. It's, it's a theology that only works when you're young and successful and healthy, right? Which is not what we need. Tangent, okay? <laughs> but you got a long road ahead of you like Caleb. But like him, you're getting the land and you're getting the Lord at the end of this, right? Right? I mean, it's a long road, but you're getting the land, and you're getting the Lord at the end. And that gives you a different kind of rest, if you'll enter it. A different kind of rest than the world has, right? How do we enter it? We enter it by faith. What's faith? Faith is trusting in the promises of God. It's resting in Him. It's resting in the works of the greater Joshua, not in your own. Jesus, the greater Joshua, has conquered the land. He's removed the giants of your sin that would have kept you out of it. Through the cross, he's made a way for you to safely enter his rest. He's done it all for you. You just have to take him. You just have to receive him. Say, how do I do that? You can do that right now. You just pray and say, Lord, I want exactly what he was just talking about. I want you. I want forgiveness. I want a new life. I want that rest. I want you. I turn from my sin and trust in you. I want to have you today. You could have that. As we take communion a little bit later, um, you could take him as simply as you take that. And if you're trusting him today for the first time and you've prayed that out to him and you've turned from your sin and trusted him, you can take that communion for the first time as someone who is truly going to enter the real promised land. It's like man in the wilderness to you. You're a part of the group that's going to make it because Jesus has made it for you. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guys, if he's yours, you can rest in him even now. You can rest from your restlessness for righteousness. Right? Are you restless for righteousness? Are you insecure about your standing with God? Guys, if you're in Christ, you have his righteousness, and it's a righteousness your striving can't increase and your sinning can't decrease because it's his righteousness. It's a righteousness that we can rest in. Um, are you restless for success? Is that why your soul's restless? Guys, you should rest in the fact that your future, get this, I want you, maybe you're fading right now. Don't fade, okay? Don't fade. You're restless for success. Think about this. Your future, your most future future, 
and your most permanent future depends not on your own achievements, but on Christ. Isn't that amazing? The future you have that's your most future future and your most permanent one, which you're going to enjoy forever, does not depend on your own achievements. It depends on his. I don't know what you call success more than you inherit the world to come and enjoy God, and he'll be yours. I don't know what else you were looking for. Was it a car or a house? I don't know what you wanted. That's success, and you already have it in Christ. Okay? Are you wrestling with your worthiness, never feeling like you live up to some sort of standard? You know, Rest in the fact that you're loved and treasured by God. As he treasures his own son, Jesus, he treasures you. There's no greater worth, guys, than being his kid. Is there? What else did you want? There's nothing else, right? Are you restless for security? And I'll end with this. Always trying to make sure you avoid some future suffering, okay? I know about this one. This one's mine. You, you worry about, did I do everything I need to do to avoid some terrible cliff in the future, right? It's a restlessness for security. Guys, wrestle in the fact that literally every single thing that happens in this world has to work for your everlasting good. Okay, that's what Romans 8.28 says, is that every single thing that happens in this world has to work, has to work for your everlasting good, right? That's security. I don't know what else you were looking for. Maybe bank account. I don't know what else was going to do better than that. But everything that happens to you will serve for your everlasting good to bring us safely home, to have that full rest that we're even enjoying to some degree now. Let's pray. Father, you, you have made us for yourself, oh Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Lord, help us to rest in you. Even now, I feel like you have helped us to rest in you. Even as we looked at your word, even as we, we thought about the things that we're trying to throw into that black hole of restlessness to try and calm it. And yet you make it all calm. You're more than sufficient for that. Having you, we have everything. Having you, we have righteousness. Having you, we have security. Having you, we have success. Having you, we have value. We have worth. We just want to rest in you. As Adam and Eve did before the fall, that we would just be able to just rest in your presence, rest in who you are, rest in your fatherly care. Father, we pray as we take the Lord's Supper and we, we enjoy this, this beautiful invitation to your table that we get every week. It's an invitation that says that we're good with you. We're right with you. We're allowed to eat at your table. We pray, Lord, for your people as they take it, that we feed them, that we truly feed on your son Jesus and be strengthened by him. We pray, Father, for those who are here who, who feel restless and, and they feel in need for you, and all this makes total sense to them. We just pray, Lord, that you would just push them all the way to grab hold of you in taking the Lord's Supper to take hold of you, to trust in you, to have you as their everlasting rest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.